Hey, Camp Kids, welcome back to the Camp Kids podcast. I'm your host, Joe Bob, and I'm on a mission to bring together a community of camp people from all around the world. Whether you are currently in your camp experience or it's been a while since you've been at camp, when you're with us, you're at home. In this week's episode, we are meeting John, also known as Golf Cart. I first met Golf Cart when we were both passing through Camp Sacagawea in Boone, Iowa. Golf Cart got his start at a 4-H camp in Iowa as program staff and then slowly transition to the medical and facility side of things. He dives deep into the transition, what it was like to go through to become medical staff, and what new camp health staff can expect when working at a summer resident camp for the first time. Golf Cart also has had experience teaching in outdoor classrooms in different parts of the country and is now a wildland firefighter. He explains how camp has had such a positive impact on him and how he utilizes the camp schedule and flexibility in his everyday life. So without further ado, let's hear it from Golf Cart. John, welcome to the Camp Kids podcast. We're so excited to have you here with us to share your camp story we would love to hear about who you are and where you're speaking to us from today. So some people call me John, but my friends call me Golf Cart, and I'm currently parked in Waterloo, Iowa. Very cool. What are what do you have parked in Waterloo, Iowa? So I actually live in a school bus. Oh, that's incredible. I feel like yeah. there's a story already there. Would you mind sharing that with us? <laughs> oh, that would be that would be a whole podcast in and of itself. But I mean, basically, seasonal camp life had led me to, I mean, live in cabins and live, you know, season to season. I uh, ended up trying trailer life to see if I could do it. Just kind of jumped full in and did school bus. I, I built the whole thing. I bought it and built the whole thing. Did that over the last couple of years. Wow, that's awesome. Was this like a COVID project by chance? Um, no, it was post, actually. Okay. Uh, I was in the trailer during COVID. I didn't get any building and anything done. The, the dreams and the the drive had been there years beforehand. COVID just kind of put a wrench in things. COVID brought me back to Iowa where the derecho happened. And then I began cutting trees. And that actually did help quite a bit. Wow, that's incredible. Well, thanks for sharing that a little bit. Let's let's go ahead and dive into your camp experience. Tell us about your camp background experience. Did you end up going to camp as like a camper or did you only attend as a staff member? So I was in Scouts BSA as a kid. I didn't really get too engaged with that. I made it to the Order of the Arrow, but didn't really com- complete Eagle Scout. I got um, maybe halfway through, a quarter of the way through that process. I did go to a STEM camp called College for Kids. And I really enjoyed that. That was uh, later middle school or something. But um, I didn't really get involved as a staff member until after college. Interesting. That's awesome. And I have a very similar story. I was in Girl Scouts, I mean, all the way through high school, but I didn't achieve my gold award or anything. My troop kind of fizzled out. And then I got really back involved in it as I became a staff member. So I definitely resonate with you there. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a staff member. What kind of camps did you work at? What kind of roles did you have? And how long did those happen? Well, so I graduated with a teaching degree in 2009. And uh, my home camp was actually the Iowa 4-H camper. Uh, Iowa 4-H camping center in Madrid, Iowa. I remember talking to a friend of mine and saying like, hey, I'm you know going to be a teacher. I need a resume builder. It'd be awesome if it had lodging. Like what... Where are some places I could go? You know, what what can I do? And my buddy was like, just dude, look up summer camps. <laughs> so I just Googled them, and uh, the 4-H camp was one of the 
first ones that came up and it was the first one that got back. That's how I landed there and just happened to go to an absolutely fantastic, wonderful, talented group of people. Wow, that's awesome. What's your teaching degree in? Science. I'm actually a biology teacher. Are you teaching biology now? No, I did some OEC stuff. There's a lot of moving in there. So I, I have worked in the Battle Creek Public School District, and that was actually as a licensed school teacher, but that was in their outdoor education center, which is just their school um, grounds that are you know outside of the city, outside. Very cool. That's awesome. And that's located in Iowa as well? No, the Outdoor Education Center, sorry, is in Battle Creek, Michigan. I have also taught at a place called Nature's Classroom that was in Charlton, Massachusetts. I believe I had one summer with the Girl Scouts. I believe that was 2016 or might have, I think it was 17. Most of my time I spent at the Iowa 4-H camp. It should have been about seven seasons there. Medical staff, marketing, and everything. Wow, that's incredible. And if I remember correctly, when I came into contact with you at the Girl Scout camp, you were on medical staff. So how did you make that transition from kind of being a counselor or program director over to the medical side of things? So it was originally, um, we needed some people to have, um, I believe it was OEC or an advanced first aid in order to lead outposting trips. And so I just happened to be one of those people my first year. I ended up getting my EMT, which means I could be the camp nurse and kind of move that way. One of the, I guess, more, I was, I stepped back from being a program director and became the camp nurse under Rafiki. And I remember Rafiki asked me, you know, hey, how does this feel to like step back from that role? And I was like, it actually feels fantastic because I'm doing so much less and I have have so many fewer responsibilities. (laughs) And like, it it was, it was really great to actually step back from that role. Someone in that role in the health supervisor sort of things that have had campus as a different staff person. And it always, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Usually I've worked at facilities where we're scrounging around last minute for a health supervisor, temporary nurse in, and someone who's had no experience with resident camp or camp in general. It's always hit or miss. I think that that's awesome that you were able to make that transition and still have that camp experience because you get the, the camp whimsy. You get a lot can be handled just by the counselors and a lot can be handled with just soap and water. <laughs> Kids oh. just need a lot more soap and water in life, you know? Absolutely. I just got back from a resident camp experience out here in Washington. There's a Girl Scout camp out here that I was just at for a week. It was incredible. Oh, this camp has been in operating for almost a hundred years and it's off the canal, which has ocean life in it. And it's, it was incredible, but the health supervisor here was also a camper as other staff person and would always, when anybody would walkie them, they'd always be like, did you want soap and water? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I've never heard of that before. So when you said that, I was like, they are of the same mindset of you too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I feel like camp nurses always have these little sayings because we just, we do the same questions all the time. And it's things like, have you washed up soap and water? Have you drank water? Have you put sunscreen on? Have you pooped? Like we just, we just ask like the same six or seven questions all the time and it solves most things. 
thing that they had always mentioned too is when was the last time you changed the band-aid um, because, <laughs> because a lot of, a lot yes. of kids don't change the band-aid and especially with the facility i was just at when you're in and out of salt water all the time like you've got to clean your stuff like you have to yes. go in that water with petroleum jelly or you're gonna be burning on your cuts and your steaks so oh my goodness it was very interesting to see it from that perspective as well. What were some benefits, I would say, to being in the health supervisor role as to being more of like the program side of things? Honestly, one of the most straightforward things is just scheduling. Like You know where kids are going to be. You know where the creek walk is. Like you know about how long that takes. Um, like You can wait for kids at the end. It, it's just the little things, logistics of timing. Because at a camp, rotating cabins, you know, every two minutes, every three minutes, getting those kids to this place, this place, this place, moving all is complicated. And so, yeah, just just finding the kids is honestly 90 percent of the battle and knowing (laughs) what side of the low ropes course or what element is where was probably one of the biggest benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was maybe some of the big heavy hitters or big problems that you would always see arise that would have a camper in your office <laughs> per se oh walking oh man it's just the kids not paying attention when they're walking it's people are always worried we're all always worried about it. you know a kid breaking their leg you know breaking their arm getting concussions going to the hospital but i mean 95 percent of what you do is just the everyday little band-aids and and that stuff matters that's the stuff that you spend most of your time on if you don't have that tracked um that's a red flag So it's the little things. Okay. That's good to know. I do have a lot of other people who listen to the podcast. And let's say someone's listening who is about to step into the role as a camp nurse or a health supervisor. What's the advice that you would give them? Oh, man. For a brand new health supervisor, just get used to wearing a belt because you will have your walkie on you 24 hours a day six days a week, you know, seven days a week, something like that. You're, it will be on you all the time. And you just have to know, Oh, that's, that's just how it always is as a nurse. I've I've never been somewhere where that isn't the thing, but it's always balanced with in between those times or just during program times, you're doing almost nothing. So everyone else's sit down time is when we're busy. We're a little bit professionally distant because of that you know if we're (laughs) we're spending 20 minutes of like a 35 minute lunch just trying to track down a kid for their noon med like you just you're not gonna sit down and connect with a lot of kids try to do that before and after meals try to do that evenings are good but mornings are are just always going to be super busy and meals are always going to be super busy anytime you shower you're getting it a (laughs) go just don't shower just don't do it Oh, that's great advice. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. I do have some other questions just about your unique camp experience. You mentioned you were at the 4-H camp for about seven summers. Is that 4-H camp still open by chance? It is not. There there are a lot of politics. That is another thing that could be a podcast in and of itself. It was to make, you know, six years of, of politics short. Someone was trying to use it as a resume builder. It became a line item on people's budgets and people moved the dollar signs around and it was just not enough to keep the camp going. Yeah, I totally understand that. STEM and technology, critical thinking, like archery, 
using that as an introduction to say discipline, knowing the commands for firing range and things like that and having those strict rules. There's a lot of those similarities. I think some of the places where they differed would be mealtimes. We had a structured seating situation. So you sat with your cabin or maybe a couple cabins if you had you know, a group that was doing something for the week, like a rock climbing group or whatever. While at the Girl Scouts um, specifically, they have an open seating. And those do have pros and cons to each other. But as a medical person, when you're trying to find a kid at lunch, I, I just never could get behind <laughs> open seating. Mm, yeah. It's hard. That always made my job hard. I can totally understand that. And I can see from a program perspective, you're a counselor and you've spent the last five days with the same kids and the only break you get from them is at lunchtime. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. And and we all, we all have a kid in mind right now where you're like, oh man, I know the exact kid who, and the questions they're going to ask. I'm like, oh, that was five days of that. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. you, You do need a break. It's one of the hardest jobs counseling specifically is probably one of the hardest jobs in the United States. Oh, absolutely. I'm a wildland firefighter and I would say that camp counseling is harder than that. Oh my goodness. Wow. Unequivocally. Granted, I don't know much about fighting fires or anything, but wow, that's, that's pretty bold. You'll have to tell us a little bit about that. Thank you for kind of going over that for us. As I said, I don't have much experience with 4-H, so it's it's very interesting to hear about the similarities and the differences. Now, do you all use camp names in the 4-H camp as well? We do not. I was at a weight loss camp in Pennsylvania where we did some names, and that was actually for legal protections because that was a very high-end camp, and we okay. were not allowed to have any communications. There's you know, non-disclosure agreements and so on and so forth which was a very interesting experience. Um, But we used camp names because they could not know our names. At 4-H, people did have some camp names if it it evolved naturally, which I always thought is fun. But most people just just went by, like I was John for several years before I ever became golf cart. Okay. Well, I would love to know, how did you become golf cart? (laughs) (laughs) I was the medical staff and medical staff at every camp. They just drive around the golf carts all day, you know, just over here, these putt, putt, putt over there. And uh, my first like few years being medical staff, the facilities people used to joke behind my back and be like, oh, there goes the golf cart again. There goes the golf cart. And it just became golf cart. And (laughs) probably four or five years into my camp experience. I actually became on the facility side of things, kind of like an intern or I mean, like, a, like an extra hand. But they eventually became good enough friends to tell me that that was the, you know, the name behind my back. And I mean, that's just, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> Those nicknames kind of with a little bit of like a story or maybe a prod, you know, a little poke there. They, it, we were good enough friends. We we're just stuck. It was always golf cart from then on. Oh, my goodness. So before you even came to Camp Sacagawea, you already had a name. You were already golf cart mm-hmm. then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was golf cart several years before I ever came to Camp Sacagawea. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Well, my next question is, what kept you coming back to camp summer after summer? Well, I guess year after year, because I, in your description, you said that you had even done some year round stuff as well. You know, what keeps me coming back to camp is a big part of it's just the schedule. We were all raised in a school system where we were on semesters or trimesters or quarters or whatever during during these seasons. And then you graduate and it's just kind of like a like go out in the world, <laughs> go go do this job for you know nine to five for the next thirty five years. Mm-hmm. That, that never stuck well with me. The 
the constant change and flux attention. So that's something that is actually able to keep things fresh and um, that'll get stagnant. Economy was a, a huge part of what got me into camping. I graduated in 2009 and I mean, teachers were losing their jobs at that point in time. I was applying to become a substitute and I remember, <laughs> I remember being told, we used to be able to guarantee you 40 hours a week and now I can't guarantee you that you'll get a call. And I didn't, I, I didn't get a call from that district. So part of it was just, oh, I guess I'll stay on at camp and, and try to do what I can here. You're absolutely right. Cause it wasn't 2008, the recession. So that really. Yeah, eight and nine. Mm-hmm. That really. Yeah, that started... was right when I graduated. That's great. <laughs> Ooh. Well, as a, as a music educator now, I can tell you how have the tables turned on that because really, we can't yeah. hire enough teachers now i mean <laughs> there yeah. are openings everywhere for everything all across the country so my next question for you is is who were some people from your camp experience that have inspired did they do that so it's so hard to just pick a couple people i mean and we all we all know you know, right, there's a whole list whenever we get asked questions like this. I do think there's always a tendency to pick out like the first people. Your first year of camp is always the most magical one kind of a thing. I think there is some of that, but to, if I <laughs> one would be uh, Jackie Boland. She was a like a lead counselor my very first year at the 4-H camp. And she's like, uh, like a character out of a storybook or something. It's like she had already encountered every possible situation and already knew exactly how to approach it. She was like the perfect balance of bubbly and fun, but she was also very cool and calm and collected. She wasn't so energetic that she actually like hyped the kids up. She was just super positive. And she actually taught me pacing. So how to give informations or directions in a very metered and purposeful way, how a program or a day can actually like magically unfold like a story arc. And you can tie one activity into the next into the next. You can have the kids develop wonder if you just give them one one little piece of the story at a time and that's actually no different than what we learn in education where as as a kid is learning things you give them that little extra piece of knowledge you give them the extra little tool that they need to move forward and so it's it's a wonderful little like academic and emotional way to to open the day and, and build that wonder cognitively academically know that we can build that wonder I would say oh. the, sorry. No, go ahead, go <laughs> ahead. The, the second person was Darren Crocker. We always called him Daz. That was his camp name. He uh, he was a literal video game character. Uh, I think he was in FIFA 08. But he was my very first co-counselor in 2009. He was a former footballer. I, I can't remember what team he played on. But he was a to the 4-H camp uh, at least a couple years he was a rock jock, our you know, climbing people. He was a lifeguard. This guy was uh, just super athletic. He was tall. He was handsome, well-spoken, super outgoing, super just charming young lad. And he, he was that the orange personality, if you do, if you do the colors. <laughs> he could become friends with absolutely anybody. And he showed me kind of the opposite of what Jackie does, where you can be wild and crazy and open and loud and make absolutely anything fun you can make card games this loud boisterous activity you could card games competitions everything was a competition or a game to him 
And he just had this magnetism that drew campers to him because you're always smiling around him. You know, when everything is this competition or a game, you're always having fun. Yeah. And so he showed me how to, to bring campers along with you, the, the kind of personality that I would say literally drags people along with you, not just brings them along. You, the whole crowd will have an energy and is and is brought along. Wow. Um, it's, an, it's when you get into a large circle or do a large group song and feel that energy. You know what I'm talking about. You know, it's it's hard to put that into words, but at, at a summer camp, you just know that person who stands up and leads the song, and you're like, "Here we go." They <laughs> 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 were along for the ride. I feel like I have an energy that's very similar to that, but. I wanted to comment on what you had said about the first person. Their name was Jackie, correct? Yes, Jackie Bolden. Yeah. You had mentioned pacing and you had mentioned how it's very similar to education. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I've spent my entire career focusing on my pacing for my classroom and have never thought about applying that into my camp experience or when I'm working with campers. Now. But I know that you already do it because like I've seen you do it. <laughs> Everyone yeah. at the Girl Scouts where you know you're you're doing this activity and you just drop that next little nugget of like, oh, well, if you're trying to get by on this low ropes element, if you're trying to get by each other, how about you lock arms? Would that work? Just these little tidbits to open it up and not give the whole thing away. That pacing, which we all just kind of do naturally, that ties in perfectly with education. Like we have research to back up this stuff as an educational model, you know. We can bring that to camp. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm definitely going to be resonating on that for a while. I, and I'm just very surprised I haven't made that connection yet. So thank you for, for talking about it and bringing it up. (laughs) That'll be, that'll be something I definitely will dive more deeper into. Well, my next question for you is I would, well, actually it's more of, I would love for you to share with us. What is your funniest camp story? Oh, man, Uh, I have a few written down here. When you're at camp for several years, it's also kind of difficult to remember what years some of the things happen. Mm -hmm. It's a whole nother thing. Like once you're in camp for more than a few years, they start to blur. It took me a couple days to remember. (laughs) (laughs) I think with my very first year, it might have been my second. But there was was one Saturday night, five or maybe six coworkers and I, we ran our underwear up the flagpoles. <laughs> and uh, we were young and happy or camping. She took down our underwear off the flagpole and just folded it neatly and correctly sorted it in all of our mailboxes. Never had to say a word, never had to scold us or anything. But like that's such a camp director thing to do to not just take it down, but correctly put it nice and neat and folded in your little mailbox with your warm fuzzies. Like, you know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is just i know oh and my goodness i think that i would have preferred the camp director to yell at me for doing that because finding it neatly folded in my mailbox i think makes me cringe a lot more than just hearing angry words so yeah and especially if they were up in front of people like you know we need to have you step up and blah 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 and like oh no i mean you just you can not step up if you want and remain anonymous but when when they already know it's you (laughs) oh man and it's just such a mom thing to do such a camp mom thing to do absolutely Um, we all have those camp moms where somehow they know your shirt size your birthday what you're allergic to (laughs) i remember i once had a rental group who 
they had told us they'd thrown away, I believe it was a retainer, and they wanted to grab their trash bag out of the dumpster um, to, you know, go through their stuff and, and expensive. And I was like, oh, sure, you know, let me help you out with that. And I hopped up, and they pointed to the bag, and I handed it to them. And this guest says, uh, that's not your first time getting to that dumpster, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's just such a camp experience. Because, yeah, we get into dumpsters all the time. Uh, I think it was on Rafiki's podcast she talked about getting into the dumpster. That is that's a right. <laughs> that is the camp theme. And, and yeah, like it's it, it gets to the point where you're comfortable and people notice like, oh, he knows where to put their his feet and hands to just hop on up. Like not his first rodeo in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that too. <laughs> oh my gosh. A lot of people will be able to relate to that. Well, I would love for you to share with our listeners, what are the things that you like to do now that you're kind of out of your camp experience and you're out in the real world? So camp has followed me quite a bit out in the real world. Um, the seasonal aspect has really resonated with me. Um, I've kind of moved on. Uh, I think I would like to get back into summer camp industry at, at some point. But um, right now, I guess pre-COVID, I was a ski patroller and wildland firefighter. Um, COVID kind of messed up the whole ski patrolling thing for a little bit. But um, in the summers right now, I'm a wildland firefighter. And it's really quite similar. If you've ever done work crew, you're really just out setting up hoses or, you know, digging a hole. And you're with a couple people. You have to live with them. You have to eat with them. You have to eat on a schedule. You're up at a schedule. Um, you're, you're just provided a box of supplies. And it's like, go do this. And, <laughs> and it might not be all the supplies. Yeah. It, is, it is shocking how similar fighting wildfires is to to summer camp what you do every morning i believe so maybe it's my sixth but quite a bit wow. a, a lot of these things have overlapped um i was only year round at the iowa 4-h center for maybe a couple years two and a half years something like that three years but obviously ski patrolling is not a you know year-round gig in most of north america uh okay. fires are becoming a year-round gig but Oof. i'll do you know one job for three months and then kind of move on to the next one I believe I started fighting fires the summer I was at Camp Sacagawea, to be honest. I'm pretty sure that was that year. Yeah, that's a sad fact, though. I mean, we're starting to get fires all the time. And some of them are not even, they're environmental reasons, and some of them mm-hmm. are not. So, yeah, it's its a its a fact of life now, for sure. I appreciate you being on the forefront of that. I, well, I actually think summer camps are really on the forefront a lot of that. We teach kids skills, how to light fires and how to be safe. Education is really the best preventative. And mm-hmm. that's really what camp is all about, is in a, in a safe environment, taking some chances, taking some risks, and, and learning how to do those things safely. Because, I mean, rock climbing, starting fires have inherent risks to them, Um you just got to start small and and know uh, in my job, it would be the, the triangle is, I guess what I'd call it. You got your fuel, you got your heat, you got your oxygen. And th- that's no different than what you would do at a summer camp doing a one match fire. So yeah, campers can grow up and be wildland firefighters every day of the week. Thank you for drawing that conclusion for us. Well, I'll kind of dive into some of my final fun campy questions here. My first one is, do you have a favorite camp song? 
Oh man, yes. So it's normally a repeat after me song. I think we'll do it as a just like a sing along song, I guess. But uh, normally, but it has to be the Princess Pat. I've loved that song. <gasps> oh, that's right. such a good one. It's I such a good that one. Up yet? So I'm glad that you. No have one that. really. Yeah. I, I'm not. Oh goodness. Forty nine brought up the Princess Pat yet. <laughs> that is a travesty, and we're we're gonna have more conversations about this because. Everyone sings it a little bit differently, like not just like the normal camp songs. Everyone has their own little twist on the Princess Pat. And so I I have a feeling I have a feeling we're going to argue about how we do it. Well, so I turned Princess Pat into a Girl Scout in the third verse because that's my experience. (laughs) But, But, you know, I can see how maybe that version is not sung at other camps through other organizations. So I mean, sure. Yeah. They, they wouldn't have done that at the weight loss camp, for sure. Yeah, probably uh, well, I, You're going to have to say the verse, because I only know the two verses. The two verses oh. I would say. Sing, okay, yeah. Which so is... in the third verse, the Princess Pat saves Captain Jack. She reels him in. She brought him back. She saved his life, his crew, too. And you know how, because she's a Girl Scout. And then you sing the chorus. Oh, <laughs> I like gonna that. Because going to be Rick Bamboo, because that rhymes. And then you just yell, because she's a Girl Scout. I like that. Yeah, you're going to take a hard left turn there. I like that. That's right. So, well, would you be willing to sing maybe a little bit of it for us on the show? Oh, man, you know, we're going to have to do that because the princess Pat lived in a tree. She sailed across the seven seas. She sailed across the channel, too. And she brought with her a rig of bamboo. A rig of bamboo? Now what is that? It's something made by the Princess Pat. It's red and gold and poipoo too. That's why it's called a rig of bamboo. Now the Captain Jack had a mighty fine crew. They sailed across the channel too. But the ship went down and so will you. If you don't bring a rig of bamboo. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for singing that. <laughs> I love the, and the ship went down. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I remember singing that in Michigan. And when I do the It's Poiple 2, everyone there literally stopped the song and looked at me because they had never heard that before. I think I added the, you know, crazy and the ship went down thing later. I got that from Nathan, who got it from, I believe, someone in Georgia. So I knew, like, four steps of where this camp song had evolved. I've always been fascinated with how those little quirks and the the traditions and things move around the country Mm -hmm. um, as in within within camping and, you know, just following (laughs) how many steps, you know, this little lyric has taken. I think is is just a fascinating endeavor. It would be awesome if someone could like do a study about that or 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 track these trends or these traditions in some way. But I I don't even know how you'd start. Oh my goodness, that would be my dream job is to be able to find the history behind all of these camp songs and find where they came from, how they've traveled, different versions. I'm starting to do a little bit of that work now with songs that are questionable or have a very questionable past like little green frog all these camp songs are about death and violence and we just happily sing along and it's totally fine yeah. i guess 
my personal opinion, I'm totally for talking about death. Um, I think that that's a, that's okay and can be done appropriately. I don't know if we should be recalling mass deaths and singing about that. That's my personal opinion. And I think organizations do need to sit down and figure out what they want to stand behind. What are things that are not okay? What are things they want to promote? What are things that they don't want to promote? That sort of deal. And I know as a music educator, we're just now starting to dive into that ourselves. Fortunately, a lot of folk songs have very questionable past and are racist. Um, So, and there's so many songs out there that aren't and that are getting lost in that sense and should be kept alive. So that's a whole nother conversation. That could be its own podcast episode itself too. (laughs) So camp and keeping traditions alive, things like that, or just the conversation of traditions within camps and probably what I feel is probably the loss of traditions in the last couple decades. We'll get there eventually. We're yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. I've got a whole list of things to bring people on about and we will absolutely get there. Well that's well, good. That's a good problem to have. It is. It's a very great problem to have. I'm wanting this podcast to go on for a very long time. So I ask all of my guests who should I interview next? The first person who came to mind is Jim Pease. He's a professor emeritus with the local college down in central Iowa. And when it comes to Boone River Valley history, flora, fauna, um, I I really don't know if there's anyone who knows more about that area than Jim Pease. He is phenomenally intelligent. The kind of guy where when you go on a walk in the woods, you know, he's just kind of like chatting with you or whatever, but, you know, he'll point out a plant and he knows every plant, literally every plant in the woods. And you just casually point out, like, oh, hey, look at this one over here. We'll, we'll have to get you in contact with him. He's done a lot for um, conservation in Iowa. He's done a lot for outdoor education and the camping industry. We should, I think, maybe either you or I should reach out. She's my former program director. She grew up in 4-H. She was a, what you would consider, I guess, the main movie character of like someone who who goes to camp their entire life meets their partner through camp becomes a camp director has their kids at camp just very lifelong camper wow yeah that would be awesome thank you so much for making those nominations i can't wait to reach out to to them both my last question here for you is if people want to contact you or find you how could they go about doing that i think the Best way would probably just be through email, which is my name, Jonathan J. Cahill at gmail.com, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-J-C-A-H-I-L-L at gmail.com. Awesome. And I will include that email in the show notes so that all of our listeners can just click. And if they have any questions for you, they can reach out to you. That's all the questions that I have for you. Was there anything else that you wanted to share while you're on the Camp Kids podcast? So I know Frog actually specifically called out a question for me. Frog, I mean, first off, like first things first, hi, Frog, I miss you. She's a fantastic human being. Frog asked about my experience being at a gendered camp. To be totally honest, for me, it really wasn't too difficult. I've worked in camps long enough that I know how to stay professional. You're always doing two-to-one, side hugs, L-shaped supervision. It really wasn't too difficult you just do the same things that you do with any other camper and you you can protect yourself the girl scouts have actually like always been inclusive like from day one everyone was actually like really happy to have me there 
one of the funniest moments of that summer that I was working with the Girl Scouts was someone had asked, could he go into the girls' cabins and take photos like during rest time? We want to get good, you know, marketing photos of in the cabins too. And Rafiki was actually kind of floored, like, no, we'll get a we'll get a cabin counselor to get some photos in in there. Like that's something that like admin don't need to be in <laughs> male or female. Why would admin be in a, the camper's cabin during rest time without you know need? There, there's that was really. Like how inclusive they were. I thought it was fantastic, but it was easy just to be cognizant of, of things like like that. That, that would be a counselor's job to take photos during rest time, not, not any of the admin staff. Wow. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that being medical staff helped me in a lot of ways. Having access to my own bed, my own bathroom, and like I mentioned earlier, when you're eating meals separately a good portion of the time, you just have less exposure to the kids. There were some things I did purposefully. Like I would stay away from some of the small group activities. In 4-H, they would have these little cabin chats where you'd actually like write up little contracts at the beginning of the week and the kids would sign that, you know, we're going to behave and do these things or we'll call each other, you know, whatever cool names. There's no medical person to get involved with some of those like intimate activities that really should be with the counselors. I would only at the Girl Scout camp only go to the pool through the back gate. I just wouldn't go through the bathrooms unless there was something in the bathrooms. Pretty easy modifications to my schedule, you know, like these are not hard decisions to make. (laughs) You, You don't have to change your day a whole lot just to be professional, I guess. It really wasn't that hard. You just go around to the backside and use the gate. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much for answering your question. I I'm seeing her this upcoming weekend, so <laughs> I will. I absolutely will. I know that there's probably some other people who might have to be navigating that or will be soon. So I'm really glad that you laid that out for us. Since I have a platform, I have to say it and I'll get a little bit political. But unfortunately, some states like say California and Massachusetts have mandated contact hours for education. And other states don't have that. So some schools legally have to get their kids outside. And I think that's something that we should all be uh, talking to our representatives and our legislators, either at a state or federal level, to have literal laws that say kids need to get outside in sunshine. Absolutely. I 100% agree as an educator in Missouri where that is not legal. So I am 100% for that. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Golf cart, thank you so much for being (laughs) on the show. It's been so great to reconnect with you again. And you've brought up some wonderful points that we are definitely going to be revisiting in later episodes. So I can't wait to contact you and hopefully bring you back on to be able to explore more of these topics that we've brought up, if that's okay with you. I would absolutely love to come back on. No, that would be fantastic. This has been a fantastic time. I think that at some point in time, you should bring on Drew Demery. Now that we're talking about a few of these other things that have come up, I think he would be another great person for you to talk to when we're talking about these uh, business camp experiences. Please bring me back on. Bring more people on. Let's get uh, let's get another, what, 40-something episode? All right, Camp Kids, that was Golf Cart. Make sure to contact them if you have any questions and check out all the links in the show notes. If you are enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We want to keep our Camp Kids community growing by spreading it to others who are also camp people.
Please leave us a rating or review, preferably a five-star rating so that others can find our podcast. Later this week, I'm dropping my episode on my experience at Girl Scout Camp Robinswald. So make sure that you're staying in tune for that. That is all that I have for you for now, but remember, this is good night and not goodbye.